1: Ottawa Senators edition um, on this, the day that Ron Hextall got fired. And I guess we're supposed to talk about the Flyers playing a hockey game. Um, So we're going to try and power through because we're professionals. Um, For this episode, I am joined by the man behind all of those really cool data visualizations that you see people tweet out on Twitter and use in articles and stuff. He is probably the smartest hockey guy who will also be nice to you on Twitter. And that is, of course, Micah Blake-McCurdy. Micah, how are you?
0: I'm well, thanks, Kelly. How are you doing?
1: Good, thank you. I'm sure you appreciated that verbose. (laughs) Totally. I
0: I like it when people lie to me. It's lovely.
1: (laughs) Okay, so let's just get right into things. Um, So it looks like Matt Duchesne is finally actually playing really well for you guys, which I'm sure is a nice change. Um, But he's also in a contract year. So that might be a bit of a you know motivation for him to play really well. Do you think there's any chance at all that the Senators retain him?
0: Uh well, no. Okay. Um the the short I mean, the thing is, you know how how in Philadelphia everything is perpetually on fire yes. and and that's how like I mean, that's, that's just sort of how people get used to life being on fire mm-hmm. and which is why it makes perfect sense that we're recording this game day thing when the GM just got fired. Yeah. fired. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's extremely sort of Philadelphia standard in my head. The, in Ottawa, it's not so much that everything's on fire, although that is also true. It's that the course, the cause of the fire is the owner and it's never, ever going to get put out. Yeah. And, and so I don't like... I don't think there are any relevant considerations to whether or not Duchesne is going to stay, other than the fact that I don't think anyone wants to stay. And I think all of the players, especially players who have every reason to think that they're going to get more money at almost any other club, uh, are going to do that when they can hit free agency. I mean, even Cody Ceci, who is largely useless and beloved by the team, still had to go to arbitration in in Ottawa. Like, that's, that's the level of, like... Uh, animosity between every single player from the high on down to the low and the existing ownership. The yeah, but... You're starting to see little bits of it for instance, you know, I mean even Julie Turris, the Cal Torres's wife mm-hmm. was uh, not very in not much detail, but um, certainly voicing her disapproval of some pro-corporate lines that went out. Yeah. The, so that like I I mean when I say when I hesitated when you first asked is there a chance that that they keep him. The chance, of course, is that Melnick is forced to sell the team mm-hmm. before before uh, it's time for him to get a new contract. Um, then presumably, an entirely new management group will have to be put in place, and then there's you know all bets are on, if you like, where you get to. There's a chance that anything might happen then. Um, but I think if if Melnick contains the team as as there's every suggestion that he will, I don't think any of the the good players who are going to free agency, especially, will stick around at any price.
1: Yeah. So since you've pretty much answered my follow-up question about Mark Stone.
0: (laughs) Mm, No, I think it's the same. I think he actually would like has more, he was raised if you, that's the word I want in Ottawa. I think he has more taste to stay here. And I don't think Deshane has any particular issue with the on-ice component of the senators. I think there's every chance that, that he would look around at, at, you know, young and up and comers in the way that the way that the team is developing and he's clearly going to be like the number one center for a long, long time. And stone is going to be right up there on the top line too, for a long, long time like that in, in that hockey sense, I don't think there's any particular reason why they would want to go. Um, But I, I don't expect even that extra bit of, of history is going to count for anything when there's a chance to actually leave.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to throw a question at you that you didn't prepare for because it just popped into my head, but good, good. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be fine. (laughs) Given the way that Melnick has completely fouled up this new arena situation, um, and given the fact the last time we had a Sens game, uh, the guy that I talked to from the SB Nation Senators blog, um, kind of informed me something that I didn't entirely know, um, that Eugene Melnick might not actually have any money. That Like all of his assets might just be on paper and he doesn't actually have any money. And that's why he's not... Selling the team because the team's loaded with debt. Blah, 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 blah. Um, (laughs) Given how completely he's fouled this up, like, doesn't the league kind of have to step in and do something with this franchise?
0: I I mean, that's what people have been saying, you know, sort of six scandals ago. So on the one hand, like, of course, a lot of what passes for scandal in the eyes of fans does not pass for scandal in the eyes of the league. True. But but the kind of things that we're seeing with the Senators now are the kind of off-ice scandals, you know, People on the same bid for moving the team down to the downtown arena now suing each other. And, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing which normally does um, cause the league to, to at least start to lean around it. and there's no evidence to suggest that they haven't done that already. Batman, for instance, already said, you know, he doesn't see a future for the team that's not downtown, which is, I mean, which is just a blustery way of saying, get the deal done. And now the deal is falling apart. So, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of people who are furious at the NHL and, um, precisely what they can do to step in. I'm not sure if, uh, I mean, Melnick is, is he's, there's no question he's completely broke mm-hmm. and and has, I mean, you just look at the pattern of, of debt filings, the way that he's been restructuring debt, the way that he's failed to restructure debt, the way that he's been floating ideas like cash for a citizenship, for foreign investors, you know, for, as part of this new Le Breton plan. I mean, all of the, all of the warning signals are are there and have been there for years about how he is basically completely insolvent um, you know, and then you see it in the on ice, not not exactly on ice. You see it in the, in the hockey moves as well.
1: Mm-hmm. You, know,
0: you save million dollars by taking on a, by trading a, a second round pick as well with another player to make sure that the timing can be arranged so that you don't have to pay a bonus that you know, those sorts of, of deals, you know, which have no hockey benefit, no cap benefit, just pure money benefit.
1: Yeah. Rich people have, like, a whole other set of rules that I can't really wrap my brain around, but Cash for Citizenship is a new one. That sounds pretty wild. Yeah, I think I
0: think it's, I mean, I don't think, especially now that the deal itself is, is yeah. like, the deal between the, the NCC, the Capital Commission, and the, the group, which Melnick was part of, since that deal looks like it's falling apart, I don't think it's likely that the Cash for Citizenship is going to get wrapped into it. It was never especially likely to begin with, because um, it's illegal.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I saw so many papers, Micah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, but I mean, that's one of those things: is that when you're when you're completely backed into a corner, you start suggesting ridiculous things. Yeah, that we you know wasn't very likely to happen, but it's it's more instructive about what it suggests about the mind of the person who makes the suggestion than than any consequences of it actually happening.
1: Yeah, it's it really bums me out to see a franchise in this much of a disarray. Bums you know. out. Yeah, I get emotional about NHL franchises in that I want them all to be competitive and good such that the Flyers are still ultimately better. But like they're all successful and they have fans and everyone has fun. It's like a weird thing that exists only inside my mind. But it makes a lot of sense to me.
0: I I mean, I, I think it's possible to arrange a league so that most teams, most fans of most teams have fun at most games. Yeah. You know, no matter what, whether they're close to the bottom of the league or the top
1: doesn't seem like a high bar, right? It seems like right. a thing that they should be able to accomplish, but you know, the NHL likes to get in its own way at every possible turn. Um, well,
0: and certain owners like to get in their own way more than certain other owners.
1: Yeah. So getting back to the on ice product, which not been great this season, but I mean, it definitely could have been worse. And I think that one of the things I'm wondering about, um, Chris Tierney looks pretty good. Um, and obviously he's pretty cheap. Um, does that kind of lessen the blow? I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like nothing can really lessen the blow of losing Eric Carlson, but does it make it a little bit better? Like maybe they might luck into some kind of future success with one of these kids? Or...
0: I don't know. I think if anything lessens the blow of Carlson lo- leaving, which I mean, and, and most people are still like, I, I mean, it it put a serious dent in my in my like fandom, for lack of a better word. You know, it's i mean it's really really rough to lose the best guy who's ever going to wear the sweater for your team but but Shabot I think stepping into his role mm-hmm. is is the only thing which has taken any of the sting off of Carlson leaving mm-hmm. i don't think i don't think many people are looking at Tierney and saying well you know he was in the Carlson trade the although he has been um in, in certain respects he has been nice is had a weird weird season on the one hand, he's played sort of with any number of line mates. Him and Bobby Ryan have been l- almost entirely together, but they're not together right at this instant. You won't see that in tomorrow's game. The, whereas now he's playing with Bodker and Stone. He's been playing, although the top line might be rearranged again, if Tom Pyatt gets bumped up there, like some practices have suggested that he's going to, which is a complete disaster. You will enjoy some easy points there. The, but, but so he's been moved around, Tierney, that is, has been moved around the lineup all the time. Um, hasn't been given exceptionally favorable deployment. He hasn't really done very well by shots. He's getting badly, badly outshot. And yet he personally is still putting the puck in the net or getting assists at least. And so it's hard to know quite what to think about him. You know, there's very flashed in the panty statistically. But on the other hand, the you know, there are players who are like that. We don't really know with Tierney. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, especially because he's so young, like you yeah. said.
1: Yeah, he is super young. I just wonder, like... Part of me wonders if they might just kind of like somehow luck into like a team constructed completely of guys on entry-level contracts that are making like zero dollars. they form They're getting there. Kind of, yeah. And they form some kind of like Las Vegas Golden Knights style, like us against them mentality, and they just end up being good.
0: I, I don't know about mentality, but <laughs> but there's definitely, I mean, they definitely have put in a lot more youth. Yeah. Um, and, and a fair few of those players have been very encouraging. Shabbat, um, obviously, who I mentioned, yeah. um, Drake Batherson just it was not considered an especially good prospect, but he just started completely destroying the AHL. And so he had to be called up and he's been great in the NHL so far, too. Cool. So, you know, that th- like every time you get a prospect who's like suddenly starts to overperform, that's exciting whether your team is, you know, no matter where they are yeah. and it doesn't take too long before an injury um, lets you find a spot for a guy, especially when you know they're scoring five, six points a night in certain nights.
1: So enough positivity. <laughs> I can only handle so much in a day. Um, your penalty kill and our penalty kill are having a fun little dance where we each trade who's going to be the worst in the league at any given moment. I think right now it's you guys. That could change at any point. Um, but uh, we've in Philadelphia... Our armchair analysis, we've kind of determined that the problem with our penalty kill is not personnel, it is strategy and coaching. Um, do you think that your penalty kills issue is, I mean, uh, the Uber ride seemed to indicate that it was also coaching, but um, do you think it is or, or is it a little both?
0: Uh, a little bit of both, although I'm, I'm somewhat more uh, favorable towards the Senators penalty kill than I am to the Flyers penalty kill. Um, especially this year, because two, two of our best penalty killers have been a little bit or a lot hurt. Um, yeah. Namely, Zach Smith, who's back now, um, but was out for, I think, almost a month. And um, Jean-Gabriel Pajot, who's was, who was been out for pretty much the whole season. And so, in fact, there's just been suggestion that maybe he might return fairly soon, although he's definitely not going to play on Tuesday. So, you know, two of the best forwards being out is a real problem for the penalty kill. Um. The other problem is less a systems problem exactly and more of an a evaluation problem where the coach is completely determined that Cody Cece is an excellent penalty killer when, in fact, he's a dreadful penalty killer. And so I, I don't think he can implement a system whether the system is good or bad. And so that's, in some sense, that's completely self-inflicted. Um,
1: it's but it's so- not exactly
0: systems.
1: It's so weird that NH NHL coaches, like every single one of them, even the really good ones, seem to like land on some guy who's actually really bad at hockey in every sense of the word, except that they for some reason think that they're a good penalty killer. It's like the weirdest thing. I feel like you could take any team and there's a guy who's actually garbage, but the coach is like, now we need him. He's penalty kill specialist. Gotta have him. I
0: there are, I mean, there are players who are who are in in some sense, like all around garbage and yet nevertheless good penalty killers. Mm. Um, Like for instance, Dennis Seidenberg in, in the Islanders, the, his last year, the, I mean, he's, he's old and getting hurt and all the rest of it, but, but his last year, he was one of the worst five on five defensive forwards in the entire league. In fact, by I think some distance, the very worst. And he's actually quite a good penalty killer. So the the trope does exist. Mm. It's, it's just, in fact, that's maybe part of why you get these ideas that are so, that are so, broadly held among all coaches is that you see guys who are like that, who are you know extremely good at the penalty kill and who are otherwise bad. And so when you say, when people say, oh, you know, well, they're bad, it's very easy to say, well, you know, they're bad in this area, but they're good in this area. And I can tell the difference because I'm an incredibly skilled NHL coach. Yeah. And, and they'll, you know, and they'll be true sometimes and, and false a bunch of other times.
1: Yeah. So one thing that you guys have going for you that the Flyers do not currently have going for you is a really good power play, like super good. Eighth in the league, according to NHL.com, which can almost never be trusted, but I'm going to trust it. (laughs) Um, Which is, you know, obviously really good. And for a team that's kind of struggling in all other aspects, what do you attribute that success to? So uh, not to
0: sort of, be a broken record about it, but Thomas Shabbat is the, ah. the, the from primary reason there. And there's, in some sense, it's not so surprising because the the system, such as it was on the first unit, was geared around a guy like Carlson, mm. who could play. In fact, Carlson routinely would play both units because um, he's actually, you know, made of energy somehow. It's true. Um,
1: he's not Shabbat, a... No,
0: just mm. unicorn blood all the way down. But. But the Shabbat, you know, that's part of why I think it's been a good fit for him is because even though he's not that good, he does play in that style. And so when they when they say, you know, go on and play the top unit in the power play, by the way, this is the system. And it's basically designed for a guy who looks like you and he just falls straight into it. And so I think in that sense, it's been a great fit of players and systems. So the opposite of of the penalty kill where the players are being asked to do something that they can't do.
1: So I was going to ask you about that Weidman trade next, but that was at like 930 this morning when (laughs) the universe was still maintaining some kind of order and now everything's insane. Um, So Ron Hextall got fired (laughs) and uh, that's not one I think we saw coming. Um, I sure didn't. No, I mean, I, I kind of, I think we've been saying at Broad Street Hockey for a while now that if he was going to die on the Dave Haxall hill that he, that, you know, they might go out the door together. But I think that we all assumed that that would be like a summertime thing if that happened. Um, I definitely didn't see it happening today. Um, but yeah. What do you, what do you think about Philadelphia as a whole or, or where they stand right now?
0: I, so I'm, I mean, as you probably probably known, I, I have some, some history with Flyers and Flyers fans, where I just have this odd fondness for Flyers fans because they're because everything is on fire at all times, like I said before. And we're a level. So, well, I mean, yes. <laughs> well, especially you, but yeah. the the I mean, I I agree with the conventional wisdom within within Flyers fans, as I know them, that the primary issue with the team is the coach, mm-hmm. and and I in particular, I don't think the primary issue with the team is is Hextall or was Hextall, I should say the so it's difficult to it's difficult to try to understand it from that point of view. the The easy I've, I've seen this take on Twitter a whole bunch, and I, I agree with with the sort of seductiveness of it. It's easy to say, well, the ownership asked Haxtell what was it he was going to do to try to to fix the problems with the team, and all of his answers were the wrong answers, and and so he was fired for that reason. You know, with with the suggestion that one of the things that was expected was I'm going to fire Dave Haxtell, and and so if, if there'd been such an incredible rush to get Hextall out and that Hextall was the reason was standing in the way of that, then, then you would expect them both to already be fired. Um, but on the other hand, it, you could easily make it a case to say, well, you know, you need an interim coach. If you're going to fire the coach with the GM, you might as well have the interim coach that you already have. Yeah. You don't need to hire him. And coach, of course, we say fired when we talk about GMs and, and coaches, but one key detail that p- applies to most people who are fired that does not apply to fired coaches and fired GMs is that they continue to get paid. Of course. So, you know, they they don't work, but it's you know that's sort of only half fired, if you like.
1: Yeah, I always I always feel like a little bit of guilt. I'm like, oh, it's like a shame because you know I'm sure Ron is a nice man. He lost his job. He's got a family and stuff. But then I'm like, never mind. He's still getting all of his money, so I don't. And have-
0: and so on that level, I can I can see the the argument that says you know. He'll, a new GM will get the job whenever they get it. And, uh, and then they'll just be told, you know, do with the coaching staff as you see fit. And of course, if, if it really is, if the issue with, with Ron really was that, that Holmgren and, and various others wanted him to fire Hackstall, but he would not, you know, then that'll simply be part of the, part of the agreement, yeah. you know, in the job search. So uh, that's very plausible, but in some sense it, it worries me because it's a little bit too to Pat somehow. I feel like it's somehow more likely that there's a lot more going on.
1: Yeah, so I have this um, kind of nagging fear that the coaching staff is going to remain for the remainder of the season at least. And oh man, if that does happen, if you think things are on fire now, oh boy, (laughs) that will not be good. Um, Because I mean, we've all, I've personally had a lot of issues with certain aspects of Ron hextall's shaping of this team. Um mostly everything that he's done at the NHL level for the most part um apart from like dumping contracts hasn't been great in my opinion. He's done really well to dump the contracts and get the cap space back and build up the prospects. That's all been awesome. But he's not done a ton until this JVR signing to improve the on-ice product now.
0: I was about to say I like the JVR signing.
1: Yeah, it was good. Um I mean obviously unfortunately he got hurt like five seconds into the season. So we haven't seen a ton of it, but I mean, it's obviously he's going to help them be a better hockey team. Um, But yeah, it's i I'm still wrapping my brain around it. It's pretty wild that it happened. Didn't see it coming.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, if any, if anything with any hockey team has ever taught me anything, it's that there's always 18 extra things. Yeah. And, and well, and that's part of, you know, this example of, of going back to your, your brief question about Weidman is that, I mean, a relevant factor there is clearly this, this Uber video where he was make, yeah. he was one of the most outspoken about on-ice things. Yeah. But to say nothing of the fact that the coach clearly didn't like him and that they could save money by trading him away for pick. But, but all those things is, you know, there's so much of that that goes on around every team. And yet part of the, the universal hockey culture is to keep it all under wraps. Right. And so there's got to be lots and lots, which is under wraps. And, it's, you know, mid-season... GM firing is is definitely in that kind of like, you know, you don't just wake up one day if you're Paul Holmgren and say, mm, I'm going to fire the GM today.
1: Yeah, I feel like given the way that it happened, there's definitely more than just coaching staff issues going on here. I think it, it's probably like a whole, like you said, a whole host of things that we don't have any idea about because they don't tell us anything ever. Um,
0: and, and if you want the, I mean, the first suggestion which I gave you which I think has been circulating, it was already conventional, if you like, that Haxtell is the primary issue there. Another possibility, which is much less comforting to me, um, is that possibly the real reason is so as to install Dean Lombardi, oh. who already has an advisor role. The oh. And I mean, I, I don't think he deserves a job at hockey at all. I think the way he handled the Voinov situation in Los Angeles is completely shameful, and I think he should be run out of the league. Yeah. But, you know, it, it could easily be you know, that he has the ear of relevant people and has done since he's been working there for however long and that that this is, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, some sort of palace coup.
1: And it it pains me to say it, but it would be an extremely flyers thing to bring in Dean Lombardi at this point. It would, it would not be great, in my opinion. I was pissed off when they hired him to begin with because, like you said, the Voinoff thing was disgusting. What he did to Mike Richards, in my mind, was...
0: Ooh, absolutely also also absolutely disgusting good. in a different way.
1: Yeah, just a, like a, he just seems like a horrific human being. And I would re- prefer that he was not employed by my hockey team. But I do worry that at minimum, like we're going to see interim general manager, Dean Lombardi, which would be kind of crappy. But we bad enough. Yeah. Hockey hockey men don't seem to care too much about character when it comes to their own. So it is what it is. Yeah. Um. OK, back to my standard checking out the competition questions. Give us. A Senators player who we're going to see in the game on Tuesday that kind of flies under the radar that we might not be looking for, but who you think might make an impact.
0: Kind of flies under the radar. Yeah. Well, um, possibly Magnus Pajarvi,
1: okay. Who, uh,
0: who's an extremely good defensive fourth liner. And he's been stapled to uh, players who are much, much worse than him on the fourth line. And uh, and so he's been, if Tom Pyatt is moved up to the, The top line that will make the top line almost complete trash instantaneously. The but on the other hand, it's possible that, for instance, if Smith plays any serious time on the fourth line, um, with Pyarvi, that's suddenly an extremely good fourth line. Hmm. The that's sort of like a fourth line of two guys who are defensively good enough to be second liners but who don't score, and that that's a wacky kind of thing to have in a game. And you could easily get some sort of like fun. Sort of, I don't know, seventy-minute shift in the offensive zone for the Senators where they don't really threaten but make everybody kind of run around a lot.
1: Yeah. Huh.
0: The those those shifts are always fun, and I feel like that's the kind of way you get it when you load up your your fourth line with with grinders who are good defensively but can't score. Huh. Another possibility is Brady Kachuk, who uh, I don't know if he counts in, in the Senator land. He does not count as underrated at all. Yeah. Um, but um, but for some Flyers fans, they might not realize, especially because. There were a lot of people who whose only impression from outside of the of the team whose only impression of Brady Kachuk is, you know, Sands went off the board when they could have had Philip sedina who who in the long run may well actually turn out to be a better player, but he's not playing in the NHL this year, whereas Kachuk is and is and is eating it up. Yeah, he's really. also he's not just but he's not just scoring points. He's really you know kind of earns his last name. He likes to give people stick and cause trouble and and you know I I still remember the. Senators Flyers game that had the most penalty minutes of any NHL game ever and, <laughs> and so uh, you know that you'll, you might get some shades of that from somebody like Kachuk oh, So, and I don't think people are especially the Flyers these days don't play like that but I, uh, I feel like passions can be aroused at times
1: uh yeah I yeah it might be a little bit of fire under them tomorrow given recent events um who is your favorite Flyer to watch?
0: My favorite Flyer to watch Ah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Simmons, okay. The which is funny because I I don't think he's as good as a lot of Flyers fans think he is. Ah. Um, but I'm but I'm very very fond of him. I like the way he plays. Um, I like how extraordinarily thin he is. This oh is a God. very strange thing to to like about a hockey player. Um, uh, I like how he's plays a style where he takes a lot of abuse, and which is you know the kind of style that you'd expect from a guy who's built like Milan Lucic and not the right. kind of guy not the kind of style you'd expect from a guy who's built like Simmons. Um, so he's probably, I like, you know, I like lots of other flyers, but Simmons is probably my favorite to watch.
1: I mean, he also celebrates well. Yeah. It, it's wild that like he parks himself in front of the net and no one can move him. And then you see him out of his pads and he's got teeny tiny little toothpick legs. Like he's like a skinny human being. And yet somehow crazy strong. It's crazy.
0: Also speaking of celebrations, so part of why I mentioned Simmons is that his celebrations are excellent. Mm. The, and one one senator to watch, if you're not familiar as a Flyers fan, Mark Stone. Yes, celebrates like no one in the league. I think he's by far the best in the league for celebrations. That he will celebrate if like if somebody in the stands holds up a sign that says Mark Stone, my wife had a baby last night, you know, eight pounds five ounces. He will, you will like, he will go and celebrate. Like, <laughs> His, his devotion to celebrating is incredible. And he is as happy for the accomplishments as other people, as I am for all of the best things I have ever done about myself. Uh,
1: <laughs> okay. So I, have, I,
0: I feel like, you know, that's just something to watch.
1: Yeah. I've never noticed that. And I'm super glad you said it because I love, love good celebrations. And so now I'm kind of hoping that Mark Stone or Mark Stone's line does something worthwhile and we well, get to see a little bit of action.
0: He also scores quite a bit, but it's all of the scoring. The scoring celebrations are not quite as good as the primary assist celebrations, oh, which are because he, you know, the primary assist from Mark Stone is not normally just to like, I got a pass from Mark Stone and then I scored like yeah. you're being, you're being set up to score. And, and so he already sees it in his head, mm-hmm. the, the primary assist goals. And so he's already celebrating before the puck is in the net on, on the really good ones. It's uh, it's in fact, it's well worth just, you know, just in the regular run of play, just watching Stone instead of watching who has the puck. Okay. That's he also just so cool. you know has that kind of face
1: he does it yeah it's a face it's not a bad face um okay so uh the last thing that i want to ask you to do is to give me a shot in the dark prediction for how you think this game will end up 6'5, six five. Six five who
0: oh trickier exactly flyers six oh. five flyers so, yeah
1: yeah if you had asked if we had done this little interview um around like 10 a.m this morning i'd have been like well micah the flyers are a huge mess and also a tire fire the senators will definitely be winning this game this will turn around their losing streak for one sentence but now i have no idea I don't
0: see know. see for the thing is the, the trouble with that the four i find but the one just doesn't happen no. the, this this year the senators allow goals to everyone in massive numbers and also score a fair few themselves it's, I
1: did actually see that, that you guys allow a lot of shots on goal, but also take a huge amount of shots on goal. Huge amount. Yeah. That's pretty fun. It is fun. High event hockey is fun in my opinion.
0: Yes. I mean, the, the trouble of course is that, is that the team still, you know, all up, taken all together. just isn't very good. Yeah. And you know, Cody CC's rolled out massive numbers. There's lots of players who simply don't deserve NHL jobs who are holding down regular spots and many of them allow lots and lots of shots and goals. Um, so, yeah.
1: I want you to know it's been extremely hard for me not to say Kaka PP every time <laughs> Cody sees his name, because I'm convinced that that's uh, Manny's greatest contribution to society.
0: The uh, I, I'm I'm pleased to have something worth parodying in the world.
1: <laughs> All right. So that is. Oh, I didn't give a prediction. I'm going to say, um, since you say that the senators are going to allow a lot of goals. And I trust you implicitly. I'm going to say four, three flyers.
0: Mm. I'm going with hidebound. Boring.
1: All right. That's fine. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you again, Micah for joining no worries Kelly. If you don't know Micah, you can find him at hockeyviz.com or on Twitter at ineffective math. He is very smart and good. You should definitely follow him. If you do not, you will learn a lot. Micah, thank you very much. Have a wonderful afternoon.
0: You're welcome, Kelly. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Hey guys, this is John Stolnes from the Good Fight and the Phillies podcast Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phillies podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher, covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. Make sure you are subscribed to the Good Fight podcast feed.